Welcome to the Medicaid Me Podcast. We have extended our app into a media platform that highlights who we are. With informative guests and a focus on industry breakthroughs, our goal is to educate and bring awareness to the many present and future medical evolutionary breakthroughs in our world. Stay tuned. Guys, I am here uh, with the Medicaid Me podcast up in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, at the Hempfield here in Pennsylvania. I can't wait for you guys to see the photos and the video. I was just in the middle of it talking with Les Stark. Um, and I am here with Erica McBride. Uh, she is also a part of the Pennsylvania Hemp Industry Council. Uh, and she is also secretary and treasurer at the Keystone Cannabis Coalition as well here in Pennsylvania. So welcome, Erica. Thank you. Nice Thank- to meet you. I'm glad you could come. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. And for I'm- allowing me to at least come here. Thank you for opening up to the public. Oh, yeah. Uh, we want to you know, get the word out to as many people as possible. Um, and I'm also the executive director of the National Hemp Association. Oh, okay. I just started that in the beginning of July. Wow. So you, you have a lot on your plate already. You 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 wear a lot of hats, but similar hats, I guess, right? Yeah. I mean, mostly, you know, the Pennsylvania Hemp Industry Council and the National Hemp Association are, are very much aligned. One's just the state level versus the federal level. Um, so now that we've got the legislation passed here in Pennsylvania, it's managing the projects, working with the Department of Agriculture to attempt to get the program greatly expanded for next year. And on the national level, we're working to get uh, H.R. 3530, the Industrial Hemp Act, passed so we can open it up for everybody across the country. Yeah, no, that's, inc- that's amazing. So obviously, I would assume that you were an activist bef- prior to really diving into this endeavor? Yeah, I, I actually started out going to a couple of Les's rallies, and that's how I met him. Um, and we started working together, um, and then we eventually got engaged last year when the governor signed the hemp bill. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, start, it started out that way, and it's just sort of snowballed into total immersion to uh, about now my entire life is dominated by cannabis. <laughs> so, obviously, what... What got you to go to his rallies? Were you a cannabis user prior? Is this something that you use yourself to medicate with, or you just believe in the science and medicine behind it? Um, it's it's a little bit of both. Uh, the reason I went to the first one was with, I was with a friend, and he wanted to go, um, so I didn't really know what to expect. And then from there, we ended up going to the smoke down prohibition rallies and and all that was swirling around with that. Um, from there, it was uh, shortly after that that the first attempt at getting the medical cannabis bill passed, and so we got deeply involved in trying to help get medical cannabis passed. Shortly after that, we went to uh, Senator Schwank and Senator Fulmer about getting the industrial hemp bill introduced, and then um, uh, Representative Russ Diamond, whose bill is the one who actually ultimately passed. So we spent a lot of years going to Harrisburg, weekly, sometimes multiple times per week to uh, try to get the legislation passed. And finally, here we are today. Um, pretty, pretty amazing to see something that you've put years of effort into making happen actually manifest itself. And it, it's been quite an amazing feeling. Now, what would you say was the biggest hurdle in this getting this process? Actually coming here and putting a seed in the ground. What was the biggest hurdle? 
Well, the, the, the legislative process was the longest hurdle. Um, we did ultimately get it passed unanimously, which, which is pretty impressive, I think. Um, and then it was the push for the timing to get the program implemented in time that we would actually have seeds in the ground this year. The law passed in July of last year, um, and the Department of Agriculture released the program the beginning of December. So they really were immensely helpful in pushing to get this done because they were given no funding to implement the program. Um, so a lot of props to them for actually getting it done, even though the program was much more restrictive than we would have liked. Um, it did happen, and we do have seeds in the ground this year. So really thrilled about that, and hopefully by next year we have a, a greatly expanded program. The Department of Agriculture is going to be holding a roundtable-type meeting in October with all of the participants who grew hemp this year so we can share our knowledge, what we learned, what worked, what didn't work, and our visions for the future and next year. And then from that guideline of the input from the, the participants as well as their own observations of what they've seen, they'll make a decision about what they're going to do for the program for next year. Awesome. And yeah, and Les just informed me that this particular field is actually being used for just strictly research at the moment because I wasn't too sure if you guys had a specific goal in mind. Is it for textiles? Is it Was it just to see the just to test the potency of this, perhaps the CBD that came out of your first round? Was it to clean the soil, you know? Right. Um, well, basically, CBD is not allowed in our program at all, okay. and which is one of the arguments that we've had with the Department of Agriculture. Uh, their interpretation of it, of federal law, is that CBD is, is not permitted. And in addition to the fact that we just passed medical cannabis here, they want CBD to be part of the medical cannabis program. Of course. So I have mixed feelings about that. On the one hand, people who need medicine need that certainty that they're getting the same thing every time and the, the testing standards that are going to be required under the medical cannabis program. But on the other hand, CBD benefits everybody, and to just to be able to take it for general wellness is something that should be allowed. Yeah, and one of my thoughts is that I think that uh, medicine derived from good hemp as well is, is beneficial for, for anybody. I would think that would be more beneficial for younger kids to sort of start off with and then once they get older they might need to graduate to an actual full spectrum cannabis oil rather than straight something something that's coming from you know hemp you know a cold pressed hemp well when you depending on your extraction methods cbd is cbd regardless of where it comes from if it's done properly okay. but the problem is there's no testing standards right now it's sort of a free for all you could take the same sample to five different labs and get five different results okay. and that's that's an issue the industry must address um if you have a child with a condition such, such as epilepsy um and you're buying you know the, the ones who have their safe harbor that are getting it from other places um, if you're taking it and with good results and all of a sudden it stops working, the way the standards are right now, you don't know if your child's disease has progressed or changed or whether or not you're not getting the same batch that you got the last time. Exactly. And, and that's an issue that has to be addressed. So for now, um, we will continue to fight for CBD, especially on the national level. But in Pennsylvania, we want to focus on fiber and seed because ultimately that's where the the future of hemp lies in industrial products that will and it will eventually dwarf medical cannabis in the the scale of the industry
No, that's that's awesome. I'm glad that you guys are really on the forefront of all this. You know, we need more. What I call can of, can of warriors mm-hmm. in a sense. You know what I mean? It's and it all falls under the same category, just like you were saying, hemp. You know, cannabis, whatever. It's it all is falls under the same family, and it all can be used for all kinds of different things. Hemp, obviously, we can use way more for textiles, clothing, fuel, food, and whatnot, and and some medicines. Yeah. But you know, then you have the 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 female style which is now where we're really looking for for the full spectrum medicine and i i just i see nothing but positive stuff coming out of this so i i wish you guys all all the luck and if you know if you need help or hands i know i'm not far uh or sorry i know i'm not close by but um you know if there's something we can i could plan out and like if there's a new field you're going to and you need hands to get dirty and well if you want to get your hands dirty in a couple of weeks after, we're going to just mow this field down today, and we're going to let it lay, and that's called dew rutting. And that's where you basically let rain and dew start mm-hmm. to um, decompose the stalk a little bit to make it easier to process for the fiber. So we're going to be asking for volunteers in a few weeks to come help us do some old-fashioned shocking of the hemp, where oh, you wow. put it up in those things that look like teepees yeah. um, to let it dry a little bit. And um, plus, because it will make some neat pictures. That's the way they used to do it in the old days. That's awesome. And so we're going to do that here. Um, Not necessarily because we need to, but because we want to. Sure. Um, Bring back a little bit of that heritage that we we built the foundation of getting the legislation passed and and keep the old ways alive, so to speak. Awesome. That is so great. Thank you. Oh, my God. This is so great. And we'll be right back after the break. Flotation Philly is the premier sensory deprivation and float spa center in Philadelphia. Floating relieves the pressure of gravity from the joints and muscles, putting your body in complete relaxation. Let Flotation Philly take you to a place of weightless serenity, no stress, no distractions, no gravity, no gravity. Go to flotationphilly.com. But then we noticed a problem, which we assume is from... uh, the rain we have a little bit of rot in some of the female buds here where the seed develops yeah and uh in in some areas of the field it's it's uh more pronounced than others is it due to more just because of the overbearing of moisture we've had well, in these late, last months i mean so much rain has fallen yeah. and, and the humidity too right that's what i would assume i mean that's my theory uh we've been around to some of the other hemp fields in the state and we've seen the problem to greater or lesser degrees in, in other crops, too. So, um, but in this field, luckily, though, we're not harvesting for seed. If we were going to harvest this crop for seed, I would consider it a disappointment because you can average uh, at least 700 pounds of seed per acre. And 1,000 pounds isn't, you know, unheard of. And a matter of fact, in some yields in, up in Canada, they're getting 2,000 pounds or more of seed per acre. Now, how many... Uh hemp fields are in pennsylvania right now well originally the program was going to approve 30 permits and uh but because of the fees that were involved um he's gonna make a path okay hang on one guy second one guys it's funny because i was like oh i don't really smell anything in it and then it wasn't until i actually disturbed it well that's what i was going to say you have to sort of like almost like a scratch and sniff that really brings out the terpenes and so forth that looks pretty right. Yeah, that's... Oh, wow, that's nice. Well, so that's green. 
they're just not quite ready yet for seed. You mentioned that um, this particular uh, field is, is for, strictly for research. Mm-hmm. Research in what? Well, uh, Lehigh University is going to use the uh, plant material to study the antimicrobial benefits of hemp. And uh, they're also going to do something that's called light harvesting for quantum dots to be used for nanosheet technology. And you'd have to ask the scientists at Lehigh to explain that concept a little better. Okay. But uh, that's what we're that, that this crop is for. It's a three-year project, so this is year one. We intend to, uh, you know, start off next year and, uh, you know, improve our results, which we're, we're very happy with this, actually, um, for the, the way the project came about. Um, we still had surprisingly good results. Uh, wasn't sure what to think at first when I came here, and like I said, I saw the corn stalks and the weeds, and, uh, you know, was just put the seeds in the ground and hope, and that hope sprang, and here it is. Yeah, I mean, they sprang up quick. I mean, you guys planted at the end of May or something like that? June 1st. Or? June 1st, okay. Right. So, 1st. yeah, and I was I was so shocked because, you, I mean, you guys have been um, basically, you've been, you've been basically recording all the events that have been happening up up in for the fall whole time and just to see it like after a month you were like are you serious you just planted this right, stuff exactly, you know so right. it's really amazing that it's planted you know and it grows this fast um so it sounds like the stuff that this particular research is being possibly done for it almost sounds like it looks like it's going to be more of a textile study yeah, well i don't know to what extent they'll be using textiles but this is just the beginning this okay. is year one and there's a lot of big plans that they have for the lehigh valley um uh, Jeff Whaling and, uh, you know, some other people are going to basically uh, put together a, a hemp manufacturing plant okay. in the Lehigh Valley. And once that gets started, they'll be able to process up to 15,000 acres of hemp from farmers within a 50-mile radius. And hopefully that'll be just be beginning and we can develop this industry and start putting plants all over Pennsylvania. But then we can get into all the things like textiles, um, you know, all the, the myriad things that hemp could be used for. Yeah, no, because I know that um, uh, one of the, wasn't one of the fields, uh, the idea behind one of the fields to be planted in an uh, old coal mine and yeah, to actually a, detox the soil? We have a project up in uh, Pinchot State um, Forest. And it's on the site of an abandoned anthracite mine, and uh, the goal is soil remediation. And, uh, you know, we always said that hemp could, you know, for 20 years we've been saying hemp will grow in the most marginal land. And when we saw that site, I thought, oh, my, I just looked at that and right away thought, well, here's our chance to prove it. Yeah. We've been saying it could grow in marginal land, but the only thing is that land there would have had to come up a few notches to be marginal. They basically gave us a field of rocks and coal with about no topsoil at all, and it just looks like a barren desert of uh, some alien landscape, <laughs> yeah. you know, and uh, it's like the dark side of the moon or something. And uh, so, you know, we did what we could. We tried to, uh, we had this thought that we were going to try to get a working party and move all the big rocks out of the field. So we had about 20 people there, and we worked on it for about three hours. And after three hours, we had barely cleared a quarter or a half an acre, and we looked at the rest of the field, and we said there's no way. So what we did, we just tried to rake over the rocks, and we used a sort of broadcast seed spreader, uh, put the seeds down, and then tried to rake it in a little bit. And uh, we had a lot of erosion that took a lot of the seeds away, and uh, they were hit immediately off the bat. As soon as they were little seedlings, they were hit with 98-degree sun that sort of bounced off the rocks and just hindered the growth 
phenomenally, and we didn't have a, um, a lot of good results up there this year. But, like I said, the way that we got the seeds and the way these projects came together at the last minute, we didn't have the time to do the prep work that we would like to right. do. And we didn't have a lot of time to, you know, have well-laid plans. So we did what we could on this short moment's notice, and we did get some results. There are some plants growing, so we know it can grow in that soil. But the soil almost gets like hard as cement. So basically next year what we're going to try to do is we're going to put some lime down, uh, some ground conditioner, and we're going to use hydro seeding, which is like a spray, like the people spray on grass. And then we might put straw matting down on top of that, maybe look at some other nutrients and things that we can do uh, to improve the results. And hopefully the goal is to make the desert bloom. And if we can do that, then we can show that it's a valid concept. We prove the concept. And once we do that, uh, there is over a million acres of land in Pennsylvania that could use land remediation using hemp. So that's something that we really hope um, that, like I said, this year is a little bit disappointing results in that experiment, but uh, we, th- we have a lot of good ideas. And it's a three-year project, too. So we'll get another shot at it next year, and then we'll evaluate uh, the results of that year, and then uh, come back third year. And once we recondition that soil, we're going to return it to native grasses. Yeah, and I think that's that's something that's lost a lot of. I mean, we're industrializing, you know, everywhere. You know what I mean? And we just saw the the unfortunately what happened in Texas, the catastrophe down there. Not that it couldn't have been avoided, but a lot of that might have been saved if they didn't start cementing and tarring everything. They get all get rid of all the lands that can soak up the water, and that's when you get the massive flooding and stuff like that. So. You know, to me, you know, do you know the science behind the using, um, like what you're you're attempting to do at that mine? Mm-hmm. Do you know the science behind when it when it takes the toxins out of the soil? Does the plant actually destroy that toxin, or is it held within it? And yeah. then, how do you dispose Basically, of that? Well, uh, from what we understand, the toxins collect in the leaves. And not necessarily the stalk. We want that's part of the research. We want to determine where do those toxins accumulate, and then can we still use the products for industrial products? Like, but you know, we you probably wouldn't want to use the seed for food grade products. Okay, um, and almost certainly not. But you might be able to still use the herds and inner you know stalk material, the fibers for hempcrete, for floorboard, for all the myriad uh, industrial purposes. Sure. Yeah. So that's that's the goal, and that's what makes it a good uh, good crop for remediation if we can prove the concept because um you know other crops are also good for remediation but hemp has an added value that you can harvest it and sell it and make money so if you got to remediate a million acres um and this is a way to generate some income from your efforts because it's very expensive you know we were at this uh conference and uh i asked the question they, because they said that there was like $90 million in allocated by the federal government to help remediate um, former abandoned coal mine sites. And uh, so I asked, how much is really necessary? If we were going to uh, remediate all these abandoned coal sites and brownfields in Pennsylvania and so forth, how much would that cost? And the, the cost is staggering. It's about $14 billion. So I you know often think that here are these coal mines and anthracite mines and so forth around the state and the country have caused so much environmental devastation uh, that you have to you know, spend billions of dollars to bring back to life and good health. And here we are talking about bringing back coal. 
to me, that is so ridiculously stupid. It's backwards. We, right. We have to get away from it. So, but, you know, we can rail against how, how evil, the, all the evils of the world and how these corporations are doing everything to, to destroy and rape the earth and so forth. And uh, But what we decided to do is rather than just, you know, sort of yelling into the wind, we decided to do something about it. And that's why we planted this hemp, because basically there is a deeper feeling that, you know, here's something that can create jobs, and jobs are important. It can create revenue that can help save farmland, keep farmers on the land, and that's important. But also, this is something that we believe can literally save the earth. It's not the single silver bullet solution that's going to solve all the problems, but it's a very significant key piece to the puzzle of the overall picture of what we need to do and what we're going to do to hopefully do the uh, things that we to bring this earth back into harmony a little bit more harmony anyway and because some people have really such doom and gloom and dire predictions they, they think it's too late no matter what we do right we can't go under that you assumption just, you, can't, you can't have that attitude right. and just give up well we're already doomed so why even try right we can't go under that assumption. We have to go to the assumption that if we change and we, you know, because a lot of the things has to do with, you know, materialism, excessive materialism is bad. But sometimes uh, there are certain things that everybody needs, and it's not necessarily the stuff that it's bad. It's what the stuff is made out of. Exactly. And if we can make stuff out of biodegradable substances like hemp, you know, like plastics and uh, fuel, fuel. <laughs> paper yeah all types of fuel uh, ethanol methanol bio uh you know diesel um even jet fuel and gasoline can even be made from hemp i mean we're already doing it with hempcrete right i mean we're, we're taking hempcrete we're turning it into one of the strongest materials out there and on top of that you're going to be able to start 3d printing now with with hemp strands oh, yeah that's why i say the the possibilities as we go into the future are phenomenal even back in the 1800s it was already recognized as a crew uh, a crop of with universal uh, applications of, you know 25,000 uses even back then everything from canvas sails to sailing ships and rope to fine linen and everything that could be made out of cloth and even the oils was used for seeds and paints and varnishes and lacquers and printers ink and lamp oil and the seed cake was fed to the livestock and there were so many applications now but now we're moving into this you know space age future where the you know you could Basically, uh, in a very simplified way of explaining it, melt the components down and then reconstitute it into anything you want. Exactly. Uh, uh, There's so many methods and so many um, possibilities for hemp. I think it's one of the most versatile plants out there. I mean, I'm sure maybe if we looked at some other plants, you could see the versatility in those as well. Mm-hmm. There was a uh, like there was a very young girl, 17 years old, for her science project. She created plastic out of banana peels. Wow. So, you know, right. you have the ability to use plants for other things, and we just kind of kick it to the wayside. Mm-hmm. Now, um, did do you know, did hemp also go along with the wayside with the propaganda of cannabis back in the 30s, and that's why industrial hemp was removed? Or yeah, Basically, here's what happened. I mean, in Pennsylvania, we banned, quote, marijuana. I know a lot of people don't like to use the word, but I'm using that as a word to make people understand the history. Uh, the, and, you know, uh, what it was called. And so they banned marijuana in 1933, four years before it was banned on a federal level in 1937 with the Marijuana Tax Act. Well, it was uh, introduced by a freshman legislator from Berks County named Chester A. Moan. And as soon as he got in in January of 1933, by March, he introduced this bill to ban marijuana, which actually was a simple amendment because 
Heroin and cocaine had been banned in like 1917 around there in Pennsylvania. There was a federal Harrison Narcotics Act, and that uh, sparked states all across the country to develop their own state laws. We adopted ours in like uh, 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 1917, and then in 1933 it was just simply amended to include marijuana into the list of banned substances. Well, it was signed into law on by within a couple months. May 22, 1933, was signed into law by then-Governor Gifford Pinchot, who was known as a strict um, a prohibitionist. And his prohibitionist alcohol policies are with us up until like this last year when we started to allow beer and wine in the in the sta- um, grocery stores and so forth but Pinchot was also known as a conservationist so uh, he his dad had helped to clear-cut Pennsylvania and uh, he saw that and he was supposed to be in the timber industry but he became you know known for his more moderate use of timber and sustainable uh, ecological practices, but he signed into the law, the law that eventually would be used to ban hemp. In 1937 then, four years later, uh, which by the way, our law went into effect uh, yesterday. Yesterday was the 84-year anniversary of the birth of marijuana prohibition in Pennsylvania. Four years later, it was signed into law August 2nd by um, Franklin Roosevelt, and that was the Marijuana Tax Act. And then they had double barrels to come down on the marijuana industry in Pennsylvania. Well, we all know that THC is a chemical that gets you high, but we didn't know it scientifically until it was isolated in a lab by an Israeli chemist in the late 60s. So in the 1930s, um, they had no scientific method to determine what's industrial hemp and what's marijuana. And because of this, it was easier to just lump it all in together and, cut it all and ban it. So in the late 30s, we find a lot of people, uh, farmers, being arrested for growing hemp, and they were clueless. Like One of my favorite stories is in Lancaster County, which is where I'm from. On July 5, 1938, an 81-year-old hemp farmer named Enos Schaefer was arrested for growing hemp. He had a long strip of hemp grown in his garden. He said he admitted that he was growing it, but he had no clue whatsoever that it was illegal because as far as he was concerned, he was growing hemp. He was growing it for seeds for his chickens to eat, which was a legitimate use. It had always been used. And at his trial, he testified that he had grown his plant his whole entire life and that his father grew it, and they always fed it to their chickens. But he was dumbfounded being arrested. And he wasn't the only one. There was a peop- someone else up in Cumberland County who said they, were, they had been growing it in the years previous for uh, paper. And uh, so, But farmers started getting arrested all over the state for growing a crop that they had always grown. It wasn't a, a, a big commercial crop in the late 1930s, but it was still a crop that farmers grew for non-commercial purposes for animal feed and so forth. And there was at least a small commercial crop yeah. grown. But so, yeah, so basically that's what happened. It just got caught up in the, the confusion. Yeah. Now, I wonder if that, I wonder how much of an impact that actually had on the Amish community here because the Amish, you know, they do a lot for themselves. They do almost everything for themselves. Yeah, so I, I wonder if the hemp industry, you know, by doing that, making it illegal, making them now automatically switch to. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm not sure if it affected um, like the Amish and Mennonites and so forth. I don't know if they were still growing in the 1930s. I don't know. My assumption is that they were. But on the other hand, when I first started my research in the 90s, I used to talk to old timers that were 70 years old or so, and they didn't really remember it. So, but then again, I talked to some people who sort of remembered hearing stories about it. And it's hard to say because, you know, I have some anecdotal evidence that some hemp was grown in the state up until the 1960s. I can't prove that, but that's just stories that I hear. So I don't know if it necessarily affected uh, that community at that time. They may have already moved on. 
But on the other hand, like I say, it's just I don't know who grew it and who wasn't. Right. There's not a lot of accurate statistics in the 1930s. The way that we know that farmers were growing it is by reports of the people who were getting arrested for it. And I'm guaranteed that not everybody who grew it was getting arrested. Um, I think, uh, you know, there's just a luck of where you're at and who the police officer was involved and so forth. So I don't know, but in the early days, they certainly grew it. And a lot of the hemp mill owners in Lancaster County were Mennonites. And uh, a lot of them were well, all religions, but it seems to be dominated by uh, the Mennonites and the people who we consider the Pennsylvania Dutch, mm. um, the people of German descent that settled uh, Pennsylvania, of which the culture that I come from. And uh, matter of fact, my ancestors on my real father's side, Johann Leonard Garman, came to this country 100 and, or 268 years ago from today. He arrived in Philadelphia on September 2nd with his brother, Adam Garman, and together they came to Lancaster County, and they planted hemp for generations. So my hemp, my, on my real father's side, on my stepfather's side, on my mom's side, and everybody who were in and married with our families for hundreds of years all come from families that grew hemp in Pennsylvania. So it feels like that gives me like sort of a deep connection. Yeah, to- it's, it's in your... It's like part of your part of your heritage it in is, a way. It is probably all of our heritage, no matter where you come from. Like my ancestors happened to come from German and Switzerland, so I'm what they call the Pennsylvania Dutch, and we definitely grew a lot of hemp over in Germany and Switzerland. But no matter where you come from, your ancestors probably at one time were farmers. And when they were farmers, they probably grew it. And this doesn't matter if they were from Italy, if they were from China, if they were from Vietnam, if they were from Africa. It doesn't matter where. You know, they were growing happy. If they are from India, you know, whatever. So it's kind of like in the genetic makeup of the entire human species, of the entire human race. And, uh, you know, no one culture can lay claim to it. It's a gift to all of humanity. So, <laughs> yeah, no, that's incredible, and I'm I'm so happy that you are a part of this, and that you uh, and and Erica are are getting this going. Because I don't know even if this would have been done if there wasn't the likes of you guys to really push push this going, push this 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 is very important, and uh, it's it's great to see this passion that you have yeah. to because you you know that down the road it can it can be helping everyone it's around the world, everyone, you know. And so I guess I have one last question for you. Have you taken any of this home and pressed it yet? No, I, I, no. <laughs> I mean, uh, no, I didn't do, we didn't do anything with the hemp. I took uh, one stock to the Hemp Heels concert to, yes. to demonstrate, to show to the audience. Yeah, and uh, I took another stock uh, and we dried it out and I took it out my front porch and I used my hemp brake. And it was pretty neat because you, you know what a hemp brake is, the old-fashioned machine where they used to break hemp. And I lifted that handle up oh, and wow. I brought it down. The hemp crunched and broke and fell to the porch. And I kept separating until I was standing there holding the separated strands of Pennsylvania-grown hemp fiber, probably the first time that it's been broken wow. with an old-fashioned handbrake for maybe 150 years. That must have years. felt so amazing. It, it did. It's a fulfillment of a dream because basically I've been working for over 20 years. Uh, I started my main research in March of 1997, so that's 20 years I've been working on trying to get legislation passed or introduced and passed. And for uh, you know the majority of that time, uh, we used every argument in the book. I wasn't the only one doing it, of course. There's Sean House. There's a lot of others who were part of this hemp movement over the years in educating the public. And uh, we did every argument in the book, the economic aspects, the uh, jobs. We talked about uh, restoring soil 
cash crop for farmers, we, um, every, the environmental aspects, everything. And as long as the federal government banned it, Pennsylvania basically had their fingers in there and they're saying, I can't hear you. But as soon as Section 7606 of the federal farm bill that was passed in 2014 was signed into law by President Obama, that's what opened this up. And that's when the, that turned out to be the winning argument. When I said to, to uh, uh, you know, basically the legislators, and Erica, too, was a part of this, and Jeff Whaling, we basically said now it's time to align state law with federal law. Federal law now allows it, at least on a limited basis for research, uh, and uh, they understood that. And that turned out to be the winning argument. And now, so what they did was just aligned their law with federal law. Now, we think they're a little bit too timid in their application. We'd like to be a little bit more bold in their interpretation of both state and federal law because other states are very bold, like Kentucky and Colorado. And we want Pennsylvania to, you know, sort of get a little cojones there and mm-hmm. say, we're going to push this. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, change has to happen on a federal level. It surely does. And uh, we think that will come soon with H.R. 30. 530, uh, the Industrial Hemp Act, and that's going to open up the full-blown commercial production, not just here in Pennsylvania, but throughout the nation, and uh, we're really excited about that, and hopefully we can get the chance to prove the vision that we've had for and maintained and tried to teach for over 20 years, and now we get to, you know, put it in application and uh, put it to work and show the world and hopefully make a difference. Well, that's awesome. Well, you guys heard it first from Les Stark here. Um, and we are here again with the uh, guys from the Pennsylvania Hemp Industry Council. So thank you so much, right. Les, for speaking uh, with Medicate Me. And uh, I can't wait to watch this field uh, get taken down. And uh, I'm going to go find Erica and talk to her for a little bit. All right. All right. Thank you. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this was awesome. And, and thank you so much for um, coming on and taking time to join us on the Medicate Me podcast. You know, we're really doing our best to try to launch this app and get it out to the get it out to the patients and dispensaries so they can they can work better together awesome. um, so thank you so much erica and thank you so much guys for listening to the medicate me podcast this was a historic podcast at least for us this was our first podcast ever to have a uh be in a hemp field that also has made history in pennsylvania because it was about 84 years ago or so it was first made illegal and now we just got it back so back into the people's hands the plant that we all should have and need and grow all right guys stay tuned till next time later and if you would like to be a beta tester please send us an email at beta at medicate me.co thanks guys